0: Amen. Amen. So, um, do you believe in spiritual battle? Is that, is that something that, that, that it, it's, it's one of those conversations where I have varied answers and varied responses. And that's kind of what I want to talk about uh, today. Um, have you ever, have you ever heard of the term goblin mode? Goblin mode. Now, goblin mode was a term which was kind of created about 11, 12 years ago and never really became popular until about the third year of the pandemic, or right near the end of the pandemic, and everybody was getting fed up, and everybody was kind of discouraged, not only by that, but by finances and by inflation and by, and by you know, not even knowing it when it was going to end. And there were some people who went to, into what was called Goblin Mode. This is what Goblin Mode is. Goblin Mode is staying in your bed and staying in your pajamas with a box of pizza that you ordered two days ago. And biting into that. And with the other hand, you have a bag of Doritos. And you are pouring the last bit into your mouth. And there are crumbs all over the blanket. And you're watching The Wives of Mississippi on TV. And it's on low volume because you're scrolling through multimedia. And you've run out of pop to drink. So you get up. And you go to the corner store, and still in your pajamas, to pick up whatever bottle of beverage that you enjoy, and that becomes your life. You are in goblin mode, otherwise known as my day off. No, that's not my day off. I've never ever been in goblin mode or anything like that it's just a result of what has happened, what is taking place. A lull has taken, a low has taken, and I'm not too sure what to do. I don't want to face life. So I'm just going to shut off. And the reason I mention that is because I believe that there is a spiritual goblin mode. Sometimes we hit spiritual goblin mode where I was excited at one point, where God was doing great things in my life at one point, but somehow there have been so many things that have somehow piled on top of me that I'm just kind of in this state where I'm not effective and I'm not too sure why. Do you believe in spiritual battle? I believe in spiritual battle, and I think this is an important thing because I think that that may be part of what has happened because... It is not the spiritual battle that we know about that is the issue. It is the spiritual battle that we don't know about, that we don't recognize, which is the thing that affects us most. And that's kind of uh, what I would like to talk about uh, this morning, if I could. Because the Bible talks about spiritual battle. From Genesis to Revelation, it speaks about spiritual battle. When you first hear the Gospels... And Jesus, as he is baptized and begins his ministry, one of the first things we hear is that he's fast for 40 days and is driven into the wilderness to be tempted by who? By Satan. And if, if Satan is tempting God, the Son, Jesus, who are we to think that spiritual battle does not affect us? It's true. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, that he, Satan, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of believers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Jesus. Not only is spiritual battle happening amongst us, those of us who are here and know Jesus, but it's also happening amongst lost people because it says that he is the God of the age. In, in John chapter 14, uh, verse 30, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. Ephesians chapter 6, it says, We don't flat fight against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, about spiritual wickedness in high places. Jesus even goes on and says, The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And even Paul goes on, even in, back in Ephesians chapter 6, as I switch kind of back and forth. He says there has to be kind of an armor for the spiritual battle, and if there was no spiritual battle, there's nothing having to do with spiritual battles, why is he kind of giving us an idea about this armor which is happening and taking place? It's interesting, isn't it? Key passage that I wanted to share throughout the Bibles, and this is what's talking about, the spirit of the age. It's it's found in Colossians, if we could put that that up. And, And this is what what Paul says is he's talking about spiritual battle and why we have no need to fear because it says this. Having canceled the debt ascribed to us in the decrees that stood against us, spiritual battle, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Amen. Amen. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We have, we have power from spiritual battle. We win. There's nothing really to be afraid of, but at the same time, we need to understand that we are in a battle. And you might be here, and um, you're just kind of here for the first time, and you're visiting. Someone kind of invited you. Welcome, welcome. Actually, we have a gift for any person who's here for the first time. And you're saying, "I was here last week, didn't get a gift." Well, okay. Well, we can give you a gift as well. Anyways, we want you to fill out a form and put them in those little white baskets, or give them to an usher. There's my little, my little uh, rant about if you're here for the first time. Because it's important for us to welcome you. But you might be here for the first time. You're saying, this is kind of hokey. I chose, chose the wrong Sunday to come. Because I don't know if I believe in this spiritual battle stuff. Or Maybe you are here, and there are many that are among us that are what I'm calling reconstructing faith. That something happened, and you're here. You used to come all the time. And now you're trying to figure it out Again. And one of the reasons that you left was because of this whole spiritual battle thing. And you were taught by people who had extreme views. And you were treated harshly as a result of these extreme views. And if that's the case, I can certainly understand. And being a pastor for a number of decades, I have seen the extremes take place. But whatever position you are in, if you believe that there is a good and an evil... And most of us do believe that there is a good and an evil. You'll have to entertain the fact that there is maybe a battle that we don't see. I believe in spiritual battle. But I think that the most effective spiritual battle is the time or for Satan is the times where we don't recognize him. When he's behind the scenes, when he's not the person we see as a person who's in a red suit and a pitchfork. And it's not in those times where we see manifestations where people are having their eyes roll back in their head. And and I'm sure that there are occasions where where Satan has moved in that way. But most spiritual damage happens when it is unrecognized, undiscovered, after the fact. There was an author, his name was J.I. Packer, and he wrote one of the classic books in in Christianity a a number of years ago, a number of decades ago. It was called Knowing God. Knowing God. He says something in it, uh, and I put it here on the, on the screen. He says, Opposition is a fact. The Christian who is not conscious of being opposed had better watch himself, for he is in danger. It's true. It's true. One of the most revealing passages of Scripture is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, as Paul's just beginning to talk about it. And what he's doing is he's talking about an event that he had wrote about in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I believe it is in chapter 5. There's a person who was overwhelmed in a sin, and this sin was so severe that the world didn't even... They, the world took a look at this and says, that's just gross. And the church was doing nothing about it. And, and Paul's saying, why are you guys allowing this to take place? And so in the second letter, he says, They went overboard in, their, in their, their administration of church discipline to the point where he was getting beaten up. And he says, you know what? If you've forgiven, then I have forgiven him. He says, we need to be careful how we operate things. And he says this in Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11, and that's the context with which it's spoken. He says, in order that Satan might not outwit us because we are not unaware of his schemes. King James Version says, we're not unaware of his devices. Be careful, because sometimes in the name of Jesus and sometimes through righteousness, we are doing the work of the enemy if we are not aware of some of the things that Satan does. And so this is an important thing I believe for today, because I believe that we're under attack. I believe that we're going through a time where people are leaving the church. And they're leaving the church because of this battle which is taking place, and it is the spirit of the age. And I believe it's not happening because there are demonic uh, manifestations which are taking place, but because we are not aware of the small devices. We're not aware of the schemes. So I asked myself, and I prayed and I said, "God, what are? What are these schemes?" Now this is not exhaustive in any way or shape. There are lots of ways that Satan moves. I think he moves through dividing the church and dividing people. I think he, he moves by play, replacing this, the, the price tags. I think he puts high value on some things, and the things that are more important, well, we don't put the value on. I, I believe that the greatest acts of spiritual battle happen when you seek to pray. And there are people here who says, I don't I don't pray near as much, and the reason I don't pray is because I just don't have the discipline, or I'm a bad person, or whatever. That's not it at all. Most spiritual battle happens, I think, in the front lines of prayer. If Satan can keep you from praying, then his kingdom is secure. Anyways, I don't want to talk about all that, if that's okay. We can talk about that another time. I want to talk about the devices. I want to talk about the silent ways that he moves. He moves, these are the three things. He will lurk, he lurks, he lies, and he lulls us to sleep. So let's take a look at this. The first thing that, that he does is what I will call that he lurks. That he works in a way where perhaps you don't see him or he does not want to be seen. If you take a look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, that be, it says be sober and be vigilant because the enemy kind of lurks around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. If you kind of heard that verse, kind of give me a wave. That's kind of a popular passage of Scripture. We kind of understand it. We realize that the lion doesn't go up to the envelope and says, Listen, Mr. Envelope, uh, now you will be my meal for the day. And so if you could just stand there so that I could devour you without having to make too much exercise. It's not the way it works, does it? He hides himself in a place where the antelope can't see him. This is probably especially seen the most... In John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, you know, John chapter 3, 3, John 3, 16, "...for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life." Three verses later, this is what Jesus says. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the the world, and men don't like light, because if, if men are in the light, it exposes their deeds. Men prefer to live in darkness. Because it 's in darkness where evil is not exposed, so what does this tell us? Well, what it tells us is that when Satan works, he will always work in darkness. As a matter of fact, Satan can only work in darkness. And so if you, if you, you have an issue with Satan, usually it is because there is a dark corner that has arrived in your life, and that Dark corner can happen as a result of sin or secret sin or habits that have formed that that don't glorify God or maybe it's unforgiveness or maybe it's offense or maybe it's bitterness or maybe it's lust or anything anything that is unsurrounded in your life and is allowed to take residence in your life. Some people said, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Well, I don't know if a person, a Christian, can have God and Jesus at the same time. But any person... Who allows a dark corner in their life, allows an opportunity for Satan to move in that person's life. Because he lurks. He kind of sits in the dark corner. There's people who said, you know, I had this area in my life, and it almost got exposed. And I said, God, thank you for not exposing it. Like, I've got news for you. That wasn't God. That was Satan. Because Satan does not want to expose the dark corner because he gets evicted when it's exposed to light. Does that not make sense? This is, this is kind of spirituality 101. But many times we kind of forget that that is, is the case. Don't let Satan have a dark corner. Because if he does, it allows him to work. And it grows roots. And it creates havoc. And it hardens your heart. And all of a sudden there is a blackmail with shame. You see, that's the way Satan does. He entices you to sin. And then when you do sin, he, gives, he adds shame to that. And he tries to discourage us, and we self-condemn, and we have self-loathing, and, and we just go through it. Have you ever wondered why when, when Paul talks about the armor of God, most of it has to do with living righteously? A belt of truth, a breast, breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, your feet shed with the, go- the, the gospel of peace. Because there is a link between how we live and spiritual battle. Don't allow there to be a dark corner in your life for Satan to move. The question we have to ask ourselves is, where has Satan been lurking in your life? Could it be that angry thing that has happened that has just continued to burn, turn into bitterness or someone has cheated on you or someone has cheated with you or someone has cheated through you and the residue remains in your life? Maybe it's that sin that nobody has detected or silently unforgiving that one person. Or that anxiety or that worry that has all of a sudden taken you hostage. Now Satan has taken a stronghold. I'm so bitter. I'm so angry. Man, I'm so angry with the way my mom treated me. I'm so angry with the way my dad treated me. I'm so angry with the way the pastor treated me. And it just not, has not gone away. And it is there and it's just kind of fouling up the air. Someone has offended you. But instead of making it right, you have held on to it. And inadvertently, instead of hurting the other person, you hurt yourself. What is it that is lurking? What is it that has held you hostage, although you thought that nobody has known? Because we can sit in church, folks. It's real easy to sit in church and still have a dark corner in our lives. We say, God bless you. You're such a wonderful person. We put on that Christian smile. Yet yeah, they were that person that 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 was talking about us a month ago. And instead of confronting the issue, we've kind of held it. Now it's kind of we're kind of angry. But when we're shaking their hand in church, we still got the Christian smile on. No? Okay. We harbor these things. We sit comfortably in church. And the devil has gotten away with spiritual battle he lurks. The other one is simple. Not only does he lurk, he lies. Now, this should not surprise us because John 8, 44, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. He lies all the time. He bends the truth. He embellishes the truth. He stretches the truth. He conceals the truth. He gives health lies, or he just flat out lies. Every time his mouth is open, he probably lies. And we see this right from the very beginning, don't we? Genesis chapter 3, it talks about the serpent talking to Eve. Did God really say that? God didn't say that. This is what the real truth is. And she's enticed to sin. And think of the ramifications that happened because of that lie. Jesus dies on the cross because of a lie that has led mankind into sin. Jesus had to pay with it for his life. That's how serious. Have you ever stopped to consider the serious ramifications that happen because of lies that take place in our lives? Um, I've been in ministry for like 30 years, over 30 years. And I've talked to individuals of all types. And I have found something which is true. That in many, if not a majority of cases... There are many Christians who go through their whole life believing a lie that Satan has embedded. And it has changed their trajectory, and it has slowed their growth, and it has hindered their intimacy, and it has damaged their destiny, and it has led them to wrong conclusions, which has therefore led them to wrong destinations. That wrong turn at Albuquerque spiritually has happened because of a lie that you believed. What are you talking about, Albuquerque? Hey, listen. Watch Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny, folks. Okay? For those of you who don't know. What happens is he lies. And when he lies, we begin to believe it. You'll never, ever add up. You're not lovable. You're not forgivable. I know that the pastor says and the Bible says that he will forgive that. But you and I both know that he won't forgive that. They don't like you. You're not good enough. You're not as good as them? You're not as smart as them. You will never. You will never. They won't receive you. That handicap that you have, that's going to always keep you back. It's always going to keep you in the background. Everybody sees, everybody says, everybody thinks, you're too fat, you're too bold, you're too ugly, you're too stupid, you're too small, you're insignificant. You're the reason. Oh yeah, 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 no, really, you're the reason. You're sleazy, you're dirty, you're unwelcome. you're unacceptable. That sound familiar. Have you heard any of those ones before? And there's the other side: You are wonderful. You're the greatest. You don't deserve this treatment happens on both sides I remember at a time in my life and I'm not too sure if I had ever shared this before maybe I have and if I have then you just kind of follow along because I know it's probably newer people haven't heard the story I remember that I was going to be going to a conference and I had a couple of friends with me and I know that my mom had uh, you know house with three bedrooms and I said listen can I can I stay there and and I got two friends we just kind of stay there and she said for sure that's fine that's wonderful you know, come on down, there's no problem. And I said, great mom, we will see you tomorrow. Right, thinking this is wonderful. So I got myself there, ready to kind of see my mom and be at this conference, which was in my hometown. And as I'm getting ready, like I think it was an hour later, um, someone phoned on and said, your mom has had a heart attack. The fire department is here. They're trying to revive her. And... Um, to make the long story short, I just got in the car, and I raced the five-hour drive to home, and uh, it took a couple of days, but she passed away. Passed away. And, um, you know, we went through the whole process of grieving and through the whole process of, of uh, settling the affairs, and I was the executor, and so I was busy doing all that kind of stuff. But there was something that had happened shortly after, where I began to thought, if I had not had put that pressure on her, then she wouldn't have died. She wouldn't have died. And that statement of she wouldn't have died became, you killed your mother. You're responsible for her death. And that kept me awake at night. It hurt me. I felt terrible. I felt terrible until a year goes by. And I'm lying with my wife about to get up. A year's gone by. Hey dear. Do you think the mom died because of me? What? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And she gives me a couple jab slaps or whatever it is that you need to do to your husband or your wife when they're thinking unreasonably. That's the biggest lie. You do realize she had these health conditions. You do realize that all these other things are taken place. There are thousands of other reasons why she passed away in the, in the fashion that she did. But obviously it's not because of what you did. But it took convincing. Even after she said that, I still somehow... Believed the lie. And there's a reason why Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that they call Satan the accuser of the brethren. And it's time to expose the lie, to unbelieve the lie. What is the lie that Satan has reinforced in you? What is the lie that he has crippled you with? What is the lie that he has crushed you with? What is the lie that he has sidelined you with? What is the lie that he has alienated you with? What is the lie that has stolen your joy? What is the lie that has robbed you of your potential? What is the lie that has destroyed your confidence? What is the lie that has killed your faith? What is the lie that has hindered your momentum and stopped you from going forward? What is the lie that has made you walk away from your marriage or walk away from your family or walk away from your faith? What is the lie that has separated you from your friends and your family? What is the lie? What is the thing you just give to God? And the problem with the lie is that it grows roots And all of a sudden it becomes the standard. And all of a sudden it becomes the new truth even though it isn't true. And the lie becomes accepted as truth. And Satan wins because it's his device that happens behind the scenes. Do you need to encounter a God that will discount the lie? Do you need to take some time today to come to the altar and leave the lie? So that God can move in your life. He lurks. He lies. Thirdly, he lulls us. He lulls us to sleep. Lull is kind of short for lullaby, isn't it? One thing to understand about the devices of Satan, one of his greatest devices is that Satan works long term. He doesn't work over a week. He works over a lifetime. He is into the long game. I've had so many people talk to me, and they say, I used to be happy, I used to be involved, I used to be a Sunday school teacher, I used to be a youth leader, I used to be part of the worship team, I used to be an usher, and now I'm not really doing anything, and I ask, what had happened? Two responses. First one is this, I don't know. The other one is, something happened to me, absolutely insignificant, and it turned me into being ineffective. You see, depression doesn't happen overnight. Bitterness doesn't happen over a weekend. Spiritual indifference or indifference to spiritual things doesn't overtake us over a small season. Many times we see this. Sometimes sometimes we drift. Sometimes it's just a slow fade. I remember, and maybe you have remembered this, and I think that this happens. Uh, I remember being at the beach, and I have my kids, and when I'm at the beach and with my kids, I have my eyes on my kids. You know, because it's great, and they're having fun, but it's also dangerous, isn't it? And all the time, it seems to me, every time I go to the beach, and if you look at my body, you realize I'm not the kind of person that goes to the beach all too often. But that's beside the fact, when I did have kids, I went quite a bit. Well, no, I didn't go quite a bit, but we did go every once in a while. And... There was big lakes in southern Ontario, and one lake that had a great beach was in Lake Erie. And the problem with Lake Erie was that it was a shallow lake. And what happens many times was that there was a thing called the undertow. There's was currents that were happening. You didn't see it, but if it went under, you kind of got pulled under. And if you were a child, it was a terrible thing. And so they had buoys. They had, they had places that were there, which were dangerous. But there would always be a couple of kids that would have some type of an inflatable device, either a raft or they would have a tube or whatever, and they would get playing, you know where I'm going with this? And you would see them, and they would be a couple of yards out, and then they would be like 100 a, a meters out. And then they would be a half a kilometer out. And then you begin to say, who are these kids' parents? Right? No, I'm the only one who says this. I'm the only judgmental parent out there. <laughs> because the fear is this. You drift so far away from the shore... You get so far away that you don't know if you have the strength to swim back. And I believe that the same thing happens spiritually. We get lulled away. The current pulls us away. And before we know it, we are a lot farther from God than we thought that we were. It's like Revelations. When John is talking and the letter is written to Ephesians, he said, you've done all the right things, but you lost your first love. What's happened? What's happened? When Paul is talking to Timothy, he says, fan into flame the gift of God. Well, you fan into flame something that has gone out. Fan into flame. He says in, 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 in Genesis, or sorry, Genesis, Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul says, He says, You guys used to run so fast. What has happened to you that hindered you from running and, and believing the truth? The slow fade, the thing that has slowly happened that has kind of walked us away. You know what a good, a good definition of revival is? This: Revival is God breathing life into anything that threatens to become a corpse. Do we need revival? Do we need to see revival? How far have we faded? What has been that one thing that has kind of kept you from being the vitality, vital person that God has called you to be? Because when you're that vital person, you're able to reach the people that God has called you Um, to reach. We overlook the fact that Satan's main goal is not to destroy your life but to destroy your effectiveness and to destroy your eternity. And Satan many times will will use us and and will minister generationally. I'll just say this. And I know that this somehow got me into trouble one time in another sermon that I preached. I said, Satan is not as concerned about you as what you think. We like to personalize the battle. But Satan is not so much concerned about you. He's more concerned about your kids. He's more concerned about your grandkids. I remember talking and arguing with people just about the the fact that, you know, we we did the 800-pound gorillas, and I talked about alcohol, and I said, listen, the whole battle about alcohol is that I'm not afraid that it's going to pull you under. Satan's not after you. Probably the truth is, for many people who've been Christians for long periods of time, you will make it to heaven. Satan's not after you. He's after your kids. And the alcohol may not affect you, but who says what it's going to do to your kids and to your grandkids? That idol that you have kind of been flirting with may have nothing to do with you, but it may send your children to a lost eternity. Satan Satan is... Worried about the long game, and he lulls us to sleep. Don't be lulled asleep. So, what do we do? How do we react to this type of spiritual battle? I know there's a bunch of R words. First one is realize. Second one is repent. Third one is return. When you got saved, you realized that you were a sinner. You repented of that sin, and you return. You come to God. The the prodigal son. Realized, came to himself, realized it, repented, and returned home. James chapter 4 says, resist. It's another R word. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so you ask yourself, how are you doing? If you check your life, are you thriving? Are you diving? Are you just merely surviving? Because ultimately, we all choose if God is going to revive our heart. So this message goes out to all of those who might be in goblin mode and have a job to do and need God to work in your life. Time to take off the PJs spiritually. Time to shake off the rust. Time to shake off the enemy. Realize that there's a spiritual battle that is keeping you from being effective. There's a time we just need to come to the altar And say, God, revive me. Revive me, revive me, revive me. Because we are not unaware of his devices. So God, I just pray that you will move. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in each and every one of us. And I ask God that you will just do a deep work in us, Father, because you are wanting all of us to thrive spiritually. You're wanting all of us to be effective in whatever ministry that you have called us to be. That there is a world to reach and that, Father, we come against anything that Satan is desiring to do to affect us, to affect our children. And we begin to to rise up, Father, and shake off, shake off anything, Father, any kind of lethargy, anything that is hindering us from being your man, or being your woman, or being your child. We just pray for the touch of God. God wants to speak to our hearts, just as that prophetic word was given, that God, you were wanting to speak to our hearts. God, allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to move in a deep way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.